Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, this morning, at first, our two readings may seem to be in contrast, but with a deeper look, these texts unite two seemingly different concepts. Psalm 85 is a prayer in the midst of crisis for the ancient faith community where the speaker is revealing a word from God, a word of peace to the faithful. The psalmist recalls a past when God restored the community and reiterates the promise of renewal and God's involvement in the world to bring wholeness and life, shalom, and a well-being for the faithful. In Acts, we find Peter describing the gospel story and his own ministry by accenting the universal scope of Jesus' ministry. Jesus, he declares, is Lord of all. Peter wants to be clear that God was active through Jesus, and Jesus' story attests God as welcoming of all, refusing to make distinctions among people. We hear in the psalm love and truth, righteousness and peace, earth and heaven are all united and without the other, each are incomplete and insufficient. And in the Acts passage, there are different groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, and different expressions of faith, worship, and doing what is right. But on their own, none is ever complete. Listen for the thread in the text of God's intention, an intention for unity and wholeness, giving up this concept of one thing or one idea over another. Here where there exists a both and, beyond the either or limitations that appear on the surface. Again, two readings, the first from the Psalter and the second from Acts, both readings from the common English translation of the Bible. Psalm 85, verses 10 through 13. Faithful love and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the ground. Righteousness gazes down from heaven. Yes, The Lord gives what is good, and our land yields its produce. Righteousness walks before God, making a road for his steps. A reading from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right and acceptable to him. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Junction, what's your function? Looking up words and phrases and clauses. Junction, junction, what's your function? 
So do you remember that popular series, those animated educational short films called Schoolhouse Rock? If you grew up in the 70s or 80s like me, you probably couldn't wait for Saturday morning to finally come around when you could roll out of bed and perch yourself in front of the TV with a bowl of Captain Crunch and, and learn all about grammar and science and civics and history and economics through those catchy colorful cartoon videos that were set to jazzy, snazzy rock tunes. Schoolhouse Rock was ingenious. In fact, this week I heard from somebody in our church who said I had a role in one of those short films. Oh, and by the way, my dad produced Schoolhouse Rock and won four Emmys for it. So isn't that cool? Where would Generation X be without those memorable hits like I'm just a bill. Remember that one? Or three is a magic number or multiplication. And one of my favorites, interjections. Remember that one? Remember that laughable line? <laughs> yeah, that's not fair, given a guy a shot down there. <laughs> and who else, you know, how would we have known that yow is an actual interjection? Uh, but, but of course, who could forget Schoolhouse Rock's most popular song, Conjunction Junction? And you just heard the chorus, a conjunction, junction, what's your function, hooking up words and phrases and clauses. I got three favorite cars that get most of my job done, says the conductor. I got and, for, and but, they'll get you pretty far. I don't know, for reasons I can't explain, months ago I found myself randomly singing conjunction, junction on my way home from work one day. And that's when I had this sudden revelation. And maybe the source of so many of our problems in the modern world is that we have forgotten how to live and think and act with a conjunction-junction mindset. Conjunctions, of course, are connectors that bring together two or more words or clauses or phrases. And so they make it possible for us to say things like, I was raised Catholic, but now I'm a Methodist. Or I can get out of bed and go to church, or I can choose to sleep in. Or I can't wait until the sermon is over because there are donuts after church. <laughs> you like my use of conjunctions there? We use these conjunctions and others to describe our everyday experiences and feelings, our motivations, the choices we make, but we are often unaware of the amazing power of a well-placed conjunction to make meaning of our lives, to shape how we see and interact with the world and with others, and to create the kind of world that we actually want to live in. Conjunctions can often be for us the weightiest words that we will ever use. Think about it, conjunctions have the power to connect or divide, to include or exclude, 
to expand or diminish our perspectives, our relationships, our possibilities. So a well-placed conjunction can change everything. And you, you might say to someone, I thought a lot about what I did and I need to ask for forgiveness. And maybe that person says to you, what you did was hurtful, but I still love you. And maybe you say, whether or not I can ever make it up to you, I promise to do better. And maybe that person says to you, because neither of us is perfect, nor love ever easy, I forgive you. You see how conjunctions spoken in the right moment possess this extraordinary power to keep us honest and real and open. They can keep us from closing down and closing off and closing in on ourselves and our feelings. They can create and expand new realities for us. And conjunctions, in other words, they add nuance to our very real lived experiences. They honor the complexity of all life and they help to make meaning and they point to ultimate concerns. And that can be so transformative in a world that is always trying to reduce and condense every aspect of our lives into these all or nothing, take it or leave it, black or white, clear-cut binaries. You know some of these binaries. Good, bad, right, wrong, right, left, conservative, progressive, Democrat, Republican, heaven, earth, heaven, hell, body, soul, spirit, flesh, Coke, Pepsi, Ford, Chevy. You get the point. Does it ever feel sometimes like you're living in a world in which everything must always, always be this or that and where there's no space anymore for a nuanced and courageous and? Imagine meeting someone who says, you know, uh, I actually really love the Broncos and the Chiefs. Yeah, and you'd say, no way, uh, choose a team, you bandwagon opportunist, right? Can you imagine someone who's, who's really comfortable navigating both sides of the political aisle, depending on whatever issue it is, and they say, you know, I think of myself as a, a congressive proservative. <laughs> yeah? You'd say, not possible, pick a side, flip-flopper, right? Or someone who grew up Roman Catholic but now attends a United Methodist Church and, and so they say, I'm a United Catholicist <laughs> or a Roman Methodist, right? And you'd say, what? What? Is that even possible? But in God's calculus, not only is it possible, it is how our world is supposed to work. Our modern worldview that guides the way we live our lives, it tries to split reality into all these individual distinctive parts that we can then manage. And because our world is so big and because it seems really impossible to understand the totality of our world, let alone manage or control it, we tend to separate our world into individual parts we, we remove the parts from the whole of reality. We, we break down our world as much as we possibly can so that we can understand it 
and manage it. So this is why, for example, humans created religions, like hundreds of them, maybe thousands. And then we created denominations and then branches and then individual sects within those religions. This is why humans at some point in history, uh, about 500 years ago, created a social category called race. And then we assigned, we humans assigned people into racial classes based solely on skin color. And then we assigned unequal values to those classes in order to subjugate certain people. It's why humans invented the whole concept of nations. And then we invented the borders and the armies to defend those nations. And then we assigned nationalities to those who live within those borders so that we could know who could be in and who could not. Now, it seems so convenient and manageable to do this, to split the whole into parts, to split the uh, 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 totality into little bits of reality. Uh, This is our, our way of eliminating uncertainty and controlling our world, but it creates these other problems for us. Isn't it ironic that we spend so much of our time dividing up our world into little pieces the way we do, and then we spend the rest of our time complaining about how divided our world is today, right? That's one problem with breaking up the whole into parts. But there's another problem And that is that it creates a lot of these subtle and often glaring contradictions and paradoxes for us. When we split our whole into smaller parts, we suddenly can no longer see the totality of things. Our perspective begins to get very limited. And this presents almost daily paradoxes for us. We discover our categories and our binaries even our human language, it can no longer explain it all. And so we discover, for example, that it's just really not possible to truly define, say, what an American is or what a, what a Ukrainian is based solely on where they live or where they were born or what language he or she speaks. We discover it's more complex than that. We discover that we cannot even remotely describe what a white person is or a black or brown person is or what truly matters to them or how they think simply based on the color of their skin. We know it's so much more complex. Thanks to so much religious hypocrisy over the years, we discover that we can't even come close to understanding what a Christian really is based solely on what they profess to believe or by what he or she does when they think that no one is looking. A while back, I needed a plumber a while back, and so a friend of mine recommended a plumber to me, and she said, he's great. He's a Christian plumber. (laughs) And I thought, what does that even mean? I mean, does he sing praise songs while he's snaking in my toilet? I don't know. It's like that scene in Goodwill Hunting when Sean, the therapist, meets up with Will, who grew up an orphan, and Sean says to him, You think I know the first thing about how hard your life has been? 
who you are because I read Oliver Twist? Does that, he says, does that encapsulate you? You see, we we humans and these unique lives that we're living in this crazy world that we're living in and this present evolving reality that surrounds all of us, it is so much more complex than any social binary can capture. And we live with this tension in which we understand that our language and our categories like religion and race and politics and nationality, sexual orientation, they are all, at the end of the day, incapable of encapsulating the totality of you and me and all of us. And why is this so? It's because while the world is not completely whole, everything in the world is part of the whole. While reality is not totally one, we know that reality is more than just a bunch of individual parts. And do you see the paradox now? This is why every step of the way, we need an and between the parts. Because the world has yet to become what God intends it to be. And the unity and wholeness, the peace, the shalom that God has envisioned for the world, it hasn't happened yet. Reality still isn't one, mostly because of the work we humans do to break it up. Reality isn't one yet, but everything belongs. Every created thing. God loves it all. And God is calling us every day to put an end between all of it, between all of our binaries until it's no longer a bunch of little parts, but one whole. Psalm 85 that you just heard read, it gives us a vision for how this works and what it looks like. The psalmist pleads to God to not let the people return to, quote, their foolish ways of their past. And he says that salvation and God's glory will live again in their land when faithful love and truth meet, when righteousness and the ways of peace have kissed. And he says that's when truth will spring up from the ground and righteousness will come down from heaven. The detail on this backstory is that the psalm is a post-exilic psalm. When the people have just returned, according to what we understand with this psalm, the people have just returned from exile, living 70 years outside of their home. And they were forced into exile because they had torn apart their world. They had been dividing up their reality and refusing to honor and live for the whole. And so they trampled the widow and the orphan and the poor, the sick and the old, They were taking bribes, they were telling lies for their own self-gain, neglecting the common good, the whole, until one day they had split up the world so much that it finally collapsed in on itself, and they were carried off to Babylon. And Psalm 85 uh, comes after that experience, and it is a prayer about a new vision for their future as a nation. They're home now. 
And they know they must start all over again. And so they sing this song about how they will create shalom finally and how their reality will at last be one. And they say it will happen when their acts of tender mercy come together with their religious creeds, when their love meets up with truth in the real streets of their towns, when their way of, of living meets up with God's ways of peace. And the psalm says that's when they're, what we call that integrity, by the way, when we integrate all of these aspects of the spiritual life. And that's, according to Psalm 85, that's when their integrity will spring up from the ground and God's faithfulness will come down from heaven. And what do we call that? We call that heaven on earth. And the psalm says it can't happen if our truth is without mercy, if our creeds are without real deeds, if our prayers on Sunday aren't met with peacemaking on Monday. The all-important and must always unite them because God is always about the and. It's the most important word in the lexicon of God. Without the and, there can be no wholeness. Without the and, not everything can belong. This is also the message that we hear in the book of Acts. If you don't know, Acts spans about three decades following the crucifixion of Christ. And in Acts, the disciples of Jesus become apostles or envoys of the message of Jesus. And especially Peter, James, and eventually Paul, they spread the message of Jesus mostly to Jewish communities. Christianity at this point has not yet become a religion. Christianity was really just a renewal movement within Judaism. And it focused on the message of Jesus, especially as it was grounded in the prophets around peace and love and justice. And in the 10th chapter of Acts, the apostle Peter meets up with this officer named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a high-ranking uh, 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 official in the Italian army. And Cornelius, in other words, is a non-Jew. But it says in this text that he is a, quote, God-fearer. In the first century, a, a God-fearer really just... It referred to somebody who was non-Jewish but who appreciated the the practice and teachings of Judaism. So a God-fearer was somebody who would, a Gentile, who would attend synagogue throughout the empire. And Cornelius is one of those God-fearers and he invites Peter to come to his home to share with his entire household the teachings of Jesus. And that's when everything changes for Peter. This is a decisive moment in the history of of Christianity, by the way. It's when everything changes. Because sitting in the house of all these non-Jews, these Gentiles, Peter looks around and sees all these beautiful, God-fearing people. And the light goes on, finally. And he says, I now understand God shows no partiality. Peter sees their sincerity, their faith, and suddenly he understands what Jesus had been trying to teach them all along, that everyone belongs. There are no parts in God's family. The family of God is big enough to bring everybody in, even non-Jews. Cornelius and Peter 
couldn't have been more different religiously, ethnically, socially, politically, but Peter remembers. He remembers how Jesus dealt with difference. He remembers Jesus healing a Roman centurion's daughter. He remembers how Jesus showed compassion for a Syrophoenician woman. He remembers how Jesus befriended Samaritans and lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors. And now Peter sees what Jesus was trying to tell him. That God's love is for the Jews and the Gentiles, for the Hebrews and the Greeks, for the Judean and the Italian. And it's all about the and. This one divine conjunction that describes the loving purposes of God. Here, Peter says, God's love is impartial. All the binaries and categories and the either this's or that's that define our world and divide our world, they are all our human creations. They are not God's. And God is always trying to unify what we humans are so busy dividing. And God is always calling us to drop an and between every good thing that God has already blessed until all those parts become the whole. This is the way of God's wisdom, friends, and when we live it, we become part of the whole too. A colleague told me a story years ago about hiking in the Santa Cruz Mountains in California. He was with some of his friends who knew this area very well, and they hiked to what he described as the, quote, the sewing machine tree. And as the story goes, more than a hundred years or ago or so, this homestead had burned down. And either during or soon after the fire, someone had pulled a sewing machine out of their house and they put it in the fork of a young oak tree. And then for reasons now forgotten, nobody came back to retrieve the sewing machine. So over the years, the the tree continued to grow with that sewing machine still resting in the fork of the trunk. And the machine, of course, was made of iron and steel, materials much harder than the wood of the tree. And each year, the, the tree grew another ring. And each new ring came into contact with a different part of that sewing machine, and it adjusted itself around the shape of that machine. So over the years, ring by ring, the tree grew larger until the sewing machine became mostly engulfed by the tree. And when my friend first discovered that tree, he said only one side of the sewing machine was still visible, just protruding from the tree. But if that tree continued growing, by now, of course, it would have been completely incorporated into the wood. Someday it will happen. All the parts will find their place in the whole. And every good thing that God has already blessed will finally become one. Our takeaways for today, there is a hidden wholeness behind the visible world. What humans seek to split apart God longs to join together.
And the work of every Christian is to drop a divine and between all that God has blessed until everything belongs. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.